Hey there, this is Lynn Drury, and I'm a singer-songwriter here in New Orleans and performer, and you're listening to Talking Blues. Okay, so before we start talking about music, and you're gonna, uh, hopefully you won't mind, I want to talk about your rodeo career. <laughs> <laughs> so when I talk to um, musicians, when I talk to classical musicians especially, and they start playing at the age of three or four or five, most of the time, but not always, it is because of their parents, or they, their parents get them into it. Mm -hmm. um, if you're competing at the age of five, uh, either in, in gold tying or pole bending, <laughs> Is that something that you wanted to do? Or is that something that your parents wanted you to do? Oh, I think uh, I'm sure my father, um, he was very uh, driven, you know, to compete with the horses. So he was training horses, you know, when I was born. So I was the third, you know, so my sister was riding already and competing. And so by the time I got there, I was on a horse, you know, when I was three. Wow. And, um, yeah, and so I was competing when I was five and until I was about 21, um, you know, and then I was interfering with college and everything. So I was kind of like, okay, my, you know. But, yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's definitely my dad's passion was um, barrel racing and training barrel racing horses, basically, and breeding quarter horses. If you're winning state championships at an early age... I would presume that you're obviously you got the passion as well. Yeah, I was really I was pretty good, you know. It's a pretty good rider and um I I laugh because my sister was the oldest, she always got the best horse. So <laughs> um I didn't have that the the great fast horse, but I had a really good one. So, yeah, I mean we did 4H, we did AQHA, which is the American Quarter Horse Association. My sister won the world Junior World AQHA in Tulsa in 1984. Wow. Um, and that's Junior World is because of the age of the horse. So she had a really young horse competing, and she won with a horse named JR. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean when, 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 you're, when you start at age of three and you're competing by the age of five? Uh, how much of your time is spent on horses and how much of your time... At, at a young age, are you competing? So pretty much every weekend we were traveling somewhere. And every day after school, I had to ride for an hour at least and practice. So every weekday I was at the barn. And that taught me a lot. You know, it taught me a lot about discipline um, that I would carry into the music, you know. Okay, so pole bending, I, I get the idea. You're basically kind of going zigzag through a number of poles in a yeah. short period of time. Yeah. On a horse. Yeah, they're all timed events. Okay, so. and then goat tying? Are you on a horse and then you jump off and tie up a goat? Is that the way it works? Or that's what like is the, That's sort of like the female high school rodeo version of calf roping, but you don't, you don't, you don't rope a calf. You just dismount. You, you race down to the end of the pen and you dismount and the goat is on a long rope, you know, kind of pegged into the ground. Right. 
and you just go down the rope and you have to flank the goat and tie his three of his legs. It's kind of like calf roping. Can one pursue a professional career doing this? No. I don't know. Oh. No. no. <laughs> the, the, the only professional uh, event that carries over into the pro rodeo circuit is the barrel racing, which is what my dad trained. Uh, he trained a lot of barrel racing horses. We had 40 horses growing up, you know, at some stage of, you know, buying, wow. selling, anyway. Yeah, training. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was all-consuming. So I had my friends at school, and then I had my rodeo friends. I had a just sort of a double life that I led, <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, so you did that till you're 21. Um, I know that music was in your life while you were growing up, but you didn't really pursue music until much later. Um, I think you sang in the choir? Yeah, in church. I got into the youth choir when I was about 12. And, um, you know, we went on little trips and sung around. It was, it was you know, yeah, that was, but I had always sung. I, I always sung as a child, you know. I remember sing, singing to the radio. What kind of stuff? A lot of New Orleans stuff. Since we were so close to New Orleans, um, there's a radio station called WTIX. And, um, yeah, I just we listened to that station nonstop. It was all, it was all the R and B of New Orleans and Dr. John and just all of the. It was kind of like a throwback to the fifties, right? So you're getting all the oldies, kind of in the seventies. You're getting the fifties, you know, and it's kind of cool. So you got a lot of New Orleans music that you like. There's some New Orleans music that I think that I grew up with that I don't think the rest of the world was listening to, you know. Okay, so. At what point do you think I want to pursue music as a career? Because I get the impression it didn't, you didn't grow up with that thought, but I might be wrong. I sort of grew up, um, you know, in my family, didn't have a lot of money. So it's like, you know, just get out, you know, get, get a job. And music just never entered my mind as something that I could do and support myself. I just didn't, I just didn't think of it, you know, even though I took voice in college and I played clarinet in the concert band in college one semester, um, early on, you know, in like community college. And so then I went ahead and got the business degree. And at, as I'm taking my last final course, I needed a an, an one more course in some sort of elective. So I took the enjoyment of music and, uh, I took this class and it was just really bizarre and amazing. And this composer taught it and he had his own textbook and he was very much a purist when it came to music. And we studied the different periods of music, you know, Renaissance, classical, Baroque. And I just really got into it. And, and he gave a hearing test of flats and sharps. And I'm in an auditorium class, right? A lot of these people are, do not want to be there. <laughs> and um, and I got them all right. Of course, I can tell when something is slightly sharp or flat. But I looked at everybody's papers, and I was like, wow, people can't hear that. And that's when I sort of knew that maybe I should pursue music. That was my beginning of that. So then I got a job after college, and then... Uh, moved to New Orleans and was like, hey, I always wanted to write songs and play guitar. And I just 
met a guy and it's like, oh, I teach guitar. It sort of happened like that, you know, just like, oh, I think I want to do this. And and then I spent a year playing guitar with a, a friend of mine who taught guitar. And then I had my first gig and yeah. <laughs> so like you had your first gig in your 20s. I mean, you didn't pick up the guitar until mid-20s, right? Right. Um, yeah. So my first gig was 97. And so what I was, yeah, I was like, I moved to New Orleans when I was 25. But moving to New Orleans didn't really have an, like you weren't pursuing a musical career at that point. Uh, no. But it was maybe um, in the back of my head, you know. Like me and my boyfriend were like, hey, let's move to New Orleans. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I've always wanted to sing and play guitar. Okay, so how easy did playing guitar come to you? I just remember that I had a lot of catching up to do. So I just, you know, I was playing every single day and I was playing for hours just for a solid year. I just, you know, I was just playing so much. But as soon as I learned a few chords, the writing just came out. So that was just like a floodgate. You know, just songs just poured out of me when I first learned like three or four chords. So, Wow. And yeah. that was, so that wasn't that difficult. No, it wasn't. That's some. It wasn't. I tell people all the time, I was like, you should just try it. You do it if you want to do it. It's not hard. I mean, <laughs> and they're like, what? <laughs> I'm like, it's not that hard. Come on, you can do it. But I, I don't know at what point you were happy with the songs that you wrote. I mean, writing something is one thing, but to make it a craft and to make it good. Might be a yeah, there's a, obviously my first record is um, the culmination of all of that, all of those years. But um, yeah, there's a couple of songs on my first record which I would love to see go away. <laughs> <laughs> like, but you know, no, okay. So how many songs? Would you... For the most part, I think that's pretty. It's pretty strong, you know. Which for a first effort, right? So that's. So you felt very, like, I mean, because I, I talked to a lot of musicians who struggle about writing songs. Like, writing songs doesn't come easy to them. For some, it does. For some, it's basically their life's work. But for you, it wasn't that difficult to write songs. Not at first. It's, it's tricky. Uh, sometimes I'll have three songs that'll just come out, and then... You know, I'll go weeks and I'll go months without, like, thinking of, thinking about, like, I'm always thinking about the song and I'm always thinking about, like, observing everything around me. And that's sort of where I get my inspiration. Just sort of, like, put it in the back of my head and kind of go, hmm, okay, that's a good way to look at that. Or that's maybe a good way to frame, you know, I'm always thinking about the song. I, I don't always... um I'm not always writing, though. Right. So honestly, I really should write more. But <laughs> who who are your inspirations, or who do you model yourself after, or who did you back then? Well, I listened to a lot of Ani DeFranco in the beginning. <laughs> I was really into her, and um, Patty Rothberg. I was into her, and like I was into all these weird '90s bands, you know, like. That was when the alternative stuff came out and the indie and all that. And um, 
I just, I loved just about everything. I mean, I kind of loved rap music when I was in high school and I could, I could, you know, I knew all the words, <laughs> but I really loved pretty much everything. I don't, you know, not everything, but I don't know. Um, I grew up on country music in the rodeos. Right. And that was sort of my first love of like singing and harmonies. And I remember like John Conley was a favorite of mine, <laughs> like um, George Jones. And of course, Elvis was a big part. Like my mom had all these Elvis records. Right. And um, we had a lot of uh, Waylon and Willie and Johnny Paycheck and all that stuff. I kind of grew up, uh, you know. Okay, so... When when you went to school for business, did you think that you were going to pursue business at all? Yeah, I was. That was the goal. I was wearing, I was wearing a, you know, I don't know, remember that I was watching uh, L.A. Law or something. I was like, oh, look how they look so cute in their business suits. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. I remember, like, we were being kind of groomed, I feel like, as a nation, you know, like, little um yeah but I once I got in the office and I was executive assistant to the chief financial officer of this one company and and I was like oh yeah no I don't I don't this is not me and so I started I got that job and it was uh, you know it was fun we had fun but once I um I was there for probably a couple of years and by the year 2000 I was already kind of playing music enough to make that jump to part time. And then it just, and then eventually Katrina was the springboard to just, um, you know, stop the day job and just go on, take that leap, you know. So I, I, I find that really interesting. Um, but before I get to that, tell me about going to New Orleans and trying to. F- get into the New Orleans music scene. Is that a difficult thing to do? I mean, I talk to a lot of musicians from New Orleans or who are based in New Orleans, and they're, they're very, you know, they're different types of musicians, whether they, they'd be more funk or blues or whatever. I mean, there's a lot of different yeah. kinds of music coming out of this great city. But as somebody who comes into the city and tries to establish themselves in that music scene, is that a difficult thing to do? I don't really think it's difficult. Um, I, you can always find a gig in New Orleans. That's the beauty okay. beauty of New Orleans, is that you can always hone your craft somewhere. There's you know there's some bar or you know restaurant that's always hiring musicians. And I started out with weeklies at Margaritaville, and that kind of gave me my chops wherein I had to learn how to entertain and I had to learn how to play better and sing better all at the same time. So kind of made me a better performer, I think. And are you playing mainly to tourists or locals? Yes. Um, you know, both, but Margaritaville was a lot of tourists, I think. Right. And, uh, of course I did a weekly at Checkpoint Charlie's back in 99 and that's mainly locals, you know, but, but I think, 
um, yeah, it's New Orleans is changing a lot, but you can you can still. I mean, there's so many new people right now that are coming into New Orleans, musicians that I'm always meeting new people, and it just amazes me to think back and think back that I was that person, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to you know book a gig or you know play your show and do your songs for you know it's great but yeah to be here so long is i try to stay involved and and abreast of like all of the people that are coming in so i did i right before the pandemic i was doing a songwriter night so i was i was getting to know all of the new songwriters in town which i loved and uh that's not come back yet but hopefully i can start back um soon <laughs> how does the how does the city define who you are musically ah <sighs> wow um or does it yeah i think they do i think for me i think that you know i was always in the long game and so it's a very small town course I probably made some really bad decisions in the beginning um and not being considerate and whatnot but (laughs) just being like I'm great you should like me (laughs) (laughs) but um uh you know that with age uh yeah that that changes a little bit I think now I'm just uh you know I'm always booked for the festivals and I think I have a good reputation in town as um, you know, a good performer, a good songwriter and I wonder so you grew up listening to New Orleans music on the radio. So you have that influence that, that comes with you when you move to New Orleans. But at what point do you think you become a New Orleans musician? Well, I think what happened was I didn't ever see myself as um, sort of the genre of, you know, New Orleans-y type um, music. But it really just kind of seeps into the music of what you do. So I was, I didn't want to be country. I like rejected my country roots in the beginning and was just trying to do like an alt Americana. Like we were really into Uncle Tupelo and all that. Right. And Jay Farrar and Jeff Tweedy and and Ryan Adams and and stuff like that. So I, we were trying to do something like that, like roots rock, but with like really tight harmonies and and. But I think what happened was eventually, yeah, I I am sort of country now. I people see me as country now, but I but I think. That's just because that's really, I was always country, you know, I just right. didn't accept it in the beginning. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so now it's sort of like this country, New Orleans, bluesy, Americana kind of thing, you know, which I call Noel Americana. <laughs> okay, so Noel Americana is a registered trademark. Yes. It's also my, my LLC, my business. Okay. How would you define that to somebody who doesn't know what it is? Well, I think for the longest time, um, there we really, singer-songwriters in New Orleans didn't really get a lot of, you know, if you weren't 
jazz or brass or, you know, we sort of got left out of the mix. And more and more we have these great songwriters that have these great sounds and and great bands in New Orleans that, we, I mean, we've always had, like, you know, subdudes. Like, like to me, subdudes are Nola Americana, you know? Right. And stuff like that. Like, um, New Orleans Americana, New Orleans songwriters. I don't think everybody fits in there, but I thought I thought it was just a way for me to um, differentiate, you know. Okay, so at one point in your life, I can't remember the year, but you moved to Italy. Yes. Um, what was that experience like bringing your music over there? Um, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful to be treated like a you know, a queen and <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, just everything uh, taken care of. And it was wonderful. I, I got to tour with Roberto Luti, who is pretty well known in Italy. He's with the Playing for Change band. Right. And um, and so we would tour in duo and we toured everywhere. I mean, we, we had a had lots of festivals. We we opened for Robin Ford. Um. And we did many, many Italian festivals and shows for a couple of years there. Actually, I was there in 2018 as well. Because you initially went there around 2008, right? Yes. And then I would go back every couple of years and I'd do a tour. But uh, as the years progressed, um, you know, like everywhere else, the cultural communities lose their funding and they don't have as much money. So you end up doing, I ended up doing more clubs last time I was there. Um, you know, but I did one festival in France, but. I'm going to go back to what you talked about, Katrina. So I know that you said it during Katrina, you decided that you wanted to pursue this full time. Tell me the thinking behind that. Tell me what, what, how did that decision come about? Well, when you're, a house has six feet of water and you're evacuated. I was evacuated in Memphis. I went back, check out the damage. You know, it was basically six feet of water in my apartment. And I pretty much, I pretty much had a clean slate. I mean, that's really, it's not a happy way to look at it, but it's, Definitely, I didn't have anything holding me down. I didn't have a place to live, and I couldn't afford to live in New Orleans anymore. So I was like, oh, well, this is a great opportunity to just travel around. And I just made my home base in Memphis for about a year, year and a half. And so I traveled around from there. And um, uh, Katrina was really, I mean, I, I listened to your Alan Toussaint, and I was like, wow, you know, he he thought the same thing, you know, it was, it was this springboard. And all of a sudden for me, I never would have played like Irma Thomas songs on my set or anything. I would have kept my, you know, played my songs or whatever. But, you know, at that point during Katrina, I just became uh, an ambassador for New Orleans. Everybody loved New Orleans so much. And you could feel that when you traveled. Mm. And so I started representing New Orleans. I felt like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to 
I'm going to play these New Orleans songs for you, you know. And I still do that. Um, I still feel like an ambassador for New Orleans when I go out of town. And I'm not sure if there are any other cities in the world that has that kind of attachment to the musicians. Yeah. You know, I mean, I know that, you know, Nashville is a music city, Austin's a music city, but it just yeah. doesn't seem the same as New Orleans and, and maybe that, because of what that. it's gone through and more, more than yeah. once, I guess. Yeah, there's definitely that deep uh, love and respect, you know, for the musicians here. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good town to be a musician in for sure. So, what was it like being in Memphis, which is also a musician, a musical town? Um, yeah, I I have made some friends there and used to sit in with the bands on Beale Street. Uh, Freedom World, I believe, was a reggae band I used to sit in with, and they were really, really welcoming in Memphis. I I found Memphis, I think, because I was, you know, in some sort of trauma that I didn't, I couldn't really enjoy it. I didn't, you know, I wasn't in the right mindset at that point to, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, I can't, I don't, I don't like Memphis, but it was just because I was, you know displaced and yeah um but yeah i have a lot of friends that i still have that are that i met in memphis and um i felt like they were in decline a little bit uh their music scene they didn't have as much going on you know they had the few little pockets but it was hard for me to get booked in memphis so I kind of felt defeated a little there. Well, I can't imagine going through what you went through with Katrina. I mean, it it gave you that motivation to do this full time, but to have lost everything to start fresh and to be displaced from your home. Yeah. I find that mind-boggling. Yeah, you just keep going, you know. Just keep moving. And then so... what? When did you go back? Like two years later. Um, I moved back in November two thousand six, I believe. So about a year and a half. I was back in New Orleans. I was driving back to New Orleans from Memphis every other week and sleeping. One time I slept in my car. I would just book a gig and I would just drive in. I maybe and I would sleep on my friend's couch. But I remember one night when I forgot to. It's just one of those nights where I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have anywhere to stay. I just stayed in my car, you know, <laughs> like in the French <laughs> Quarter, just like slept in my car because I forgot to call somebody or I couldn't, couldn't connect with them or whatever, you know. Like, wow, I still can't believe I did that, but I did. <laughs> but normally I would stay with friends, you know, and book a few gigs and then I'd be back in Memphis and then I'd come back. I just couldn't. I was constantly driving that six hours back to New Orleans. So eventually I found a place. I was living with a couple other friends. It's the only thing. The rents were skyrocketing. So I couldn't afford my own place. And eventually the Italian thing, when Roberto got deported and he said, do you want to come to Italy? I said, okay, what do I have going on here? I'm living in with th- two other people, like a college kid, you know? Right. 
So I was like, sure, I love adventure. And it was amazing. Amazing. Italy was really beautiful and amazing. I'm so happy and grateful that I had that opportunity. But but by 2010, uh, I moved back here. Oh, no, 2009, I moved back here. To the October 2009, I was able to get into the art lofts here. And I'm still here. So I haven't been to New Orleans in a long time. But is it, from your point of view as an artist and somebody who lives there, is the city anywhere close to where it was before Katrina? Or could it never go back that way? Um, it The city is has always been dysfunctional in some ways. But... Um, so we're, we're holding, you know, we're holding steady on that. But as far as like, yeah, everything's, you know, as far as the city goes, you know, you, you can't, I don't think you could see the devastation of, you know, Katrina anymore here, but, um, it's more commercialized. It's more, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's more Hollywood. (laughs) But as a musician, does it offer you the same kind of opportunities or less or different kind of opportunities? Um, there's definitely more opportunities. Um, you know, uh, there's lots of things being filmed here still, I think. And so there's that. And there's a new club opening up usually all the time. So there's that. Except for the pandemic, you know. But we're doing pretty good. How did the pandemic affect you personally or musically? I got the break that I always wanted. <laughs> it sounds horrible. I mean, it sounds bad, but I always want... Well, you're not the first one to say this. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like you have a month. I was like, wow, I have a month. I'm just going to learn, you know, I'm going to learn how to live stream. And I love performing live, so the live streaming kind of lost its luster with me. Um, early on so although I did learn you know I did learn uh, a little bit about it and it was great to have that um, just rest you know (laughs) and not and not have to feel like you know you're running from one thing to the next which is what I always ended up doing just running 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 going to a gig every day and not really focusing on where I want to be as an artist you know and how where do I want to go? Cause... So if I was to ask you, where do you want to be as an artist? <laughs> where do you want to go? <laughs> well, um, I love making music. I love recording. So for me, I want to be able to record and be more of a studio musician. Um, that's one of the things I, I, I would like to do. And, you know, I, I love to travel. So... I'm 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 doing what I've always wanted to do. I uh I play music <laughs> and I get to travel around and but yeah, I think I would love to have a bigger tour and you know. That's one of the things. I think the album that we put out in September is doing really well. So This is the Dancing in the Kitchen album. Yeah. Was it when was it recorded and and how difficult was it to decide to release it in September? Well, it took a long time to finish because it was started in 2000, 
um, 19, uh, wait, no, was it 2018, 18, yeah, so I sort of hem-hawed and kind of like, okay, we had the band thing, and then I was like, okay, I want to get a producer, and, you know, it took me, I was wanting to take my time with it, so I recorded six tracks at Marini Studios, and then I sort of sat on that. I like the way it sounded, but I sort of sat on it. And then then I was like, okay, I want to get a producer. And so then I got a producer and did the other four songs um, with him. And then he sort of uh, finished part of the band tracks as well. But it took me a long time just producing two and making the decisions and trying to make a good record, you know. Uh, I went back and forth with it, and I... I pulled some things at the last minute, and, the, you know, it just took me a long time. It took me three years to finally let it go. But one thing I've learned that you have to let things go, and you can't – it's not ever going to be perfect, and you just have to do it better the next time. That's the way I feel about making records. <laughs> <laughs> but you're happy with this album, and it's done well. I am happy with it. I'm happy with it. There's things, of course, you know, that I listen to, and I'm like, oh, I'd like to change that, but <laughs> – but, you know. Okay, the song, How to Lose a Friend. I don't know why, but I love that song. Wow. That's, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? It was like the most Shazam song. At one point, I get these little statistics, you know. Oh, really? So Ap- when people, when, Apple, when I do a Shazam, yeah. it goes, the artist knows? Yeah. <laughs> if they're signed up for the art, you know, they have an artist, um, what do they call it? Spotlight or thing or not right. spotlight. They have a little stats thing that they send to you, and you can see how many times everything was shazammed or listened to, or and you can tell where everybody's listening. So like every week, I'm getting new listeners, and that song is sort of a sleeper hit. <laughs> so for, and I can't tell you why. I, I mean, it's horrible, but I it's not like I sit here and listen to lyrics and understand li- lyrics. Like I don't know yeah. why, but. That doesn't seem to be the way I, I listen to music. But for some reason, certain songs just hit me, and I think, wow, that's a neat song. Um, I, something about the idea of how to lose a friend I find intriguing, but I don't know what inspired that song. Can you talk about that? Oh. <laughs> are, um, are you allowed to do that? <laughs> uh, well... Um, yeah, I guess I, I, that song was written. I had been to see Jimbo Mathis and I came home and I just wrote that song really pretty easily because I was angry, you know, and so that's a, like a little angsty song. But yeah, there's definitely some people that were in my life that um manipulated things and. Yeah, I lost a, a good friend, you know, mm-hmm. a few years ago. and So it's really about that. <laughs> so the, the fact that it's but, the most, at one point, was the most Shazam song, that would mean that it, it's probably playing a lot somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I guess. <laughs> um, well, let me think. So um, 77 stations have, have added the record to their playlist, and... I believe like 30 have it in heavy rotation around the U.S. right now. 
So that's good. That's positive. And then we have um, we have another week that they're that they're promoting it. So we'll we'll have more people adding it. I think um, even next week. So and and so I mean, does the tip sheet go with that to, to tell the the stations what to play, or is it just here's the album and the fact that that song might have been shazammed a lot means that programmers put that on the air more than others. Well, this is more, um, it's community. There's some AAA. Right. Um, but it tells me, uh, so, th- so they choose, uh, the radio people chose three songs. So the, when the radio stations get it, they'll listen to those three songs. Okay. And then, so then I get the, I get the list, I get the sheet and it tells what, they're actually playing and they're actually playing um they're playing different songs you know they're so they've listened to the whole record but usually they send them a little like hey this is the song we're trying to push you know but um i can see from my reports that you know call someone you love is getting a lot of play and good and dancing and saint tammany is getting a lot of play but uh yeah it's pretty. It's pretty cool to see the statistics on it, and I can imagine. I don't know if it was for NFL or ESPN. Oh, ESPN, yeah. There's something that featured you. How did that come about? That was through Chris Rose. I don't know if you know Chris Rose, the author, New Orleans. Um, anyway, he he had a his best friend Wright Thompson is uh, a writer for ESPN. It's really a novelist. I think he wanted to write. He didn't want to really be a sports writer, but he ended up writing. So he had this opportunity to write this really big article for ESPN about New Orleans. And I happened to be playing at Chickiwawa. And Chris had brought Wright to see me. And they just fell in love with the song City Life. And so then Wright hooked me up with um, doing the video for them sort of rebuilding New Orleans video and um and then they featured me in the article as well. Right. That's yeah, pretty that cool. Was, that is pretty cool. I still keep in touch with them too. He's Are you a really, sports fan? Hmm? Are you a sports fan? Well, I mean, I did watch part of the Saints last night and <laughs> didn't list. Not looking good. No. Well, how many but, players were out? Like 24 or something were sick? Or, I know. <laughs> like, it's it, terrible. Yeah, it is terrible. Yeah, it was. I was eating oysters last night watching it. And uh, I was. part of me was like, wait, did I get sick because of the oysters or, you know. <laughs> or because of the game. Or because of the game. I don't know. It was, could be either or. But, yeah, the Saints are not. Yeah. It's, but I still feel compelled to lend my um, spirit, you know, like I have to, like, I'm like, we have to cheer, even though we're not at the game, we have to, we have to give them all of our energy so they can win. You know, I really, New Orleans, I think New Orleans Saints fans really have this, we're really, we really believe that, you know, we have to be supportive wherever we are, like, we have to be in it. Because if you, you know, if you're not, then you're, you're the reason that they lost. (laughs) (laughs) 
I have some friends, like, if I start saying anything bad while we're watching the game, he's like, he kicks me out, you know? Well, I mean, this season hasn't been that bad for them, right? Like, they were close. It's been really bad, I think. Has it? Oh, okay. I thought thought if they won yesterday, they would have been a chance to get into the playoffs. Maybe I think they had a small chance, but they've just been losing for so long now. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't not a sports I am not a sports fan, um, but I like the Saints. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously ESPN likes you, so Yeah. That's a good thing. So looking forward, what what are things that you're working on? I have I may go to Nashville and record a single. Um I'm sort of working on that. I'm sending up producer some new tracks. I, I definitely have half a record, I'm sure, about ready. So, so with the idea of just doing a single, not a single for an f- upcoming album? I, well, obviously, I think in the, in this climate that we live in, it's important to put out music, you know? Right. So I was thinking I would, off the heels of the record, I would put out a single and I have the song that everybody loves right now and. And I, I'd like to have it produced, you know. I don't know. I've never had the slick, really slick producer kind of. Well, I've had some of that, but I've never recorded in Nashville. So I thought, well, that might be cool, you know. For sure. We'll see how, we'll see how it goes. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, so when you decided at one point that you will pursue music... Coming from a business school background, did you have a plan? No. <laughs> did you have goals? Um. Yes, I wanted to take over the world. <laughs> I don't. Yeah i I hit the ground running, and I just tried to play, and I just wanted to be wanted to be good at what I did, you know. And um, I wanted to be really good, and I think I've I've worked really hard and. I think I'm good. Right. <laughs> I'm really good at what I do and uh and I enjoy it. I enjoy playing for people and So it's really just about finding it's not really about, you know, money or anything like that. It's about me playing and having a purpose, you know, with the music. I think more now then because I did start late you know and I was probably 30 before I even got really going you know 33 and and I I don't know it's it's been a interesting I think I can't write about breakups anymore so I'm sort of going into this different realm of my life um, with writing so I was really good at writing breakup songs, and now I have to mo- now I have to find something else to write about. But it's 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 challenging, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> Did you ever question what the decision you made? No, no, never. No, no. It's the only thing that I'm really good at, and it's the only thing. There was no other. I mean, when people ask me, oh, yeah, I have a lot of musicians. Like, well, how do you do it? How did you? make the leap to go just do music. I, was, I don't, I can't even fathom the alternative. Like I, it doesn't exist, you know? I think Once you, you found out that the business suit thing wasn't your thing. <laughs> right. 
I just always knew, I just always knew in the back of my head that that was my purpose and, and that was it. That was it. Now just fine tuning that, you know, it's, it's been difficult, but, (laughs) but you know what? Um, I'm blessed. I have support and, um, I have a lot of support and have a lot of fans and they keep me going, you know, it's, I'm, I'm really blessed and grateful. Let me ask you one final question. Tell me what's the greatest things you've gotten from music. Being transcended, I think, is the best thing. Is that, is that kind of what you're... I mean, like, when I can lose everything, space and time, when I'm on stage, that's the best. That's it. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to get there. You don't always get there, but when you do get there, you, you just want it again. You know? <laughs> just, you're always reaching for that. I think musicians are always reaching for that. Right. Um, Lynn, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you I so really much. I appreciate this. I, I got a chance to work with you many years ago, and I thought I would like to get to know you a little bit, and you've given me the opportunity. I really appreciate you um, doing this. Well, thank you. Thank you.